network all the time, everywhere with everybody. I tell people, you got to just start talking to people. And I do that all day long. If I pull up at a gas station to get gas, I find a reason to talk to the guy pumping gas. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. Jack Killian is a serial entrepreneur currently working on his 10th startup following nine previous successes. And for him, success hinges on networking. Without it, he'd be nothing. But more importantly, he notes, networking really helps those around him, not just in the people he personally helps. But even for his family, Jack talks about how his son and his wife have been able to benefit greatly because of Jack's relationships. He emphasizes that networking benefits your networks, not just you. And he has a lot of other great advice to achieve success. And rather than summarizing it all, it's best we hear it straight from the expert's mouth. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with my friend, Jack Killian. So, Jack, we're live. I'm bummed. I'm bummed for the audience. And the reason being is that you and I just had a really good conversation that wasn't being recorded. It was just two guys that I like to say, quote unquote, get it. And when I refer to get it, I mean networking about understanding relationships and seeing what we could do to benefit the other person. And it's your, it was just natural. It was just your natural style. You asked me, what are some challenges I was facing? You asked me how you could help me. And it was natural. It wasn't forced. It was something that just rolled off your tongue. What, what are your thoughts? I agree. I think we could talk about a lot of things, but just relative to networking, I think the focus always has to be on what can you do to help the other person? How do you add value? And I don't think networking is a game where you try to keep score. Who does what for whom? I think you just focus on the other person and get genuine satisfaction out of adding value to other people's lives and careers. Yeah, that's it. I mean, and again, it was like you said, it was genuine. It's not about keeping score. I, I have a lot of people tell me, oh, you did this for me. What can I do for you? And I said, don't worry about it, man. Like there's not, you know, giving is the gift. And I'm sure if there was something that I needed from you, I'd have no problem calling and asking because my conscience is clean. Right. (laughs) Was there an epiphany in your life when this way of thinking kind of dawned on you or was it something that someone taught you? Or I'd, I'd love to understand. And I think it's important for other people to understand this way of thinking. Well, nobody taught it to me. I learned about the power of networking and how to be successful at it on my own. It took me over 40 years to get to the point where I'm at now. And what really triggered it was uh, when I quit my last paycheck job when I was about 30 years old and I went off on my own 
that was the first uh, company I started. I've subsequently started nine companies. I'm on my 10th. But that first company, when I started, I quit my job. I didn't have any relevant experience. I didn't have any clients. I didn't have any safety net. <laughs> I didn't have any really relevant connections with people. All I had was a vision of trying to help other entrepreneurs raise money for their ventures. And I was going to be a resource for entrepreneurs looking to fund their businesses. And once I was off on my own, with no money, no office, no help, no business cards, no internet, I was suddenly forced into a position where I had to start meeting people, cold calling most people, and trying to develop relationships based on trust, where they would either be in a position to refer deals to me, or they might be a source of funding if I ever found the appropriate deal. So starting from that very low ground zero, I've just been uh, practicing meeting people, developing relationships ever since. Mm -hmm. And if I knew earlier in my life the stuff I know now, I'm sure my life would be totally different because early on in college and in my early career, I was in a position to really benefit from networking with exceptional people. I mean, I was fortunate enough to go to great colleges. I went to Yale, MIT, and the Harvard Business School. And then I had two great early jobs. My first one was in England with a British technology company. And when I came back from England, I joined McKinsey, which I think is one of the world's top management consulting firms. So I was involved with five organizations of exceptional people. And I'm embarrassed to say to this day, I never stayed in touch with anybody I met in any of those places. And if I had known then what I know now, I'm sure my life would be much different. Wow. I, I mean, I can't even fathom just the, the schools alone, the organizations. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to bet that a significant portion of all those people that you were interacting with on a daily basis have gone on to highly successful careers and uh, and probably big bank accounts. They've gone on to be presidents of countries and leaders of companies and heads of major universities. One of my roommates became the president of University of Miami in Florida. So it was all sitting there in front of me, but I come from a very blue collar family background and it was a pretty self-contained family. We certainly never went out of our way to meet people or develop relationships with people. And back then, networking wasn't a topic that people talked about. When I went to places like Yale, MIT, and Harvard, I sort of felt like a second-class citizen coming from a public high school and blue-collar parents. So I wasn't proactively trying to meet somebody really exceptional people that were there. Wow. And just totally dumb. So what would you tell the people that are listening right now that are entertaining, not even these schools, just school in general? What would be, what advice would you give? How would you go about establishing these relationships? What kind of follow through advice would you suggest that they do? Well, I wrote a book a couple of years ago on networking and the title sort of summarizes my philosophy. The title is network all the time, everywhere with everybody. 
I tell people, you got to just start talking to people. And I do that all day long. If I pull up at a gas station to get gas, I find a reason to talk to the guy pumping gas. In many cases, they're from another country. So in, in a five-minute conversation, I'm learning about another country. I'm learning what brought that person here, what his challenges are, what his ambitions are. And we develop a relationship. So for some of the established people listening to this call, one piece of advice I'd give them is start teaching your kids the importance of developing these skills. And for people who are in their career and trying to build their career, I tell them, you got to really get great at networking. And I think the course that you've developed in the certification program that you've developed is an enormous resource that people should tap into. It's very cost-effective. And what you're teaching will have the uh, ability to change people's lives and their careers. That's what this stuff does. I appreciate that. And I completely agree with you. What a lot of times I've noticed that people don't understand is that, first and foremost, they don't understand what networking is. So we really got to kind of help them understand it so they don't feel that it's dirty. Because that's a big thing that I keep hearing. I'm sure you've heard that also. And that it's not just about, it's not about getting. People network for need. Like you and I were talking about before, it's about giving. And I love the B&I mission statement, or I forget what it's called, but it's a giver's gain. And it's so true. And, and not only are you getting by giving, but you're getting in all, so many facets of your life. Yeah, career opportunities, of course, but there's also, I think what's more important are the life opportunities, the ability to connect with somebody. A shared connection is powerful on so many levels and whether it's for just peace of mind or for your health. I mean, there's studies, there's your physical health is tied to your relationships. Also mental health, which is an, a real uh, issue that's been magnified, especially during COVID. But those with really tight relationships aren't experiencing near the type of mental health problems that those that are that don't have those relationships are. Okay. And I can go on and on, but I'm sure this is, you know, music to your ears. Right. Now, when I talk to people about networking, I tell them, in my view, there are four beneficiaries of your networking efforts. First of all, your own career is going to benefit. Secondly, the organization that you're a member is going to benefit. Third, your personal life is going to become so much more enriched. And the fourth one that most people totally miss is you're going to have an enormous impact on your family's lives. Great point. And so I tell people, I don't care if you don't network, that's up to you. But the one that you're really hurting are your family members because they could really benefit from the relationships you create. And I've got all kinds of personal examples of uh, where my family has benefited from my networking efforts. Can you share? Because I think this is important for someone to kind of, if we, you know, for us to play out sure. how the relationships kind of where, where you met them, the type of relationship, how you nurtured it. And then again, how it kind of came into, came around full circle to benefit whoever it is that you were leveraging your social capital to help. Well, as I said, I've been working on meeting people for the last 40 plus years. So my network is pretty robust. So for example, our son, we have a 36 year old married son with a young daughter, our first grandchild. And 
Jonathan has only had two jobs out of college. My wife networked him to the first one at Deloitte because she was friends with one of the women partners at the accounting firm. And after three years, he was getting a little itchy. So I networked him to a, a company in the city that does turnaround restructuring consulting work. And Jonathan has been there for 13 years. So Jonathan has never looked for a job. And Jonathan's, uh, just to put this in perspective, Jonathan paid more in taxes last year than I've earned in most of my years. So that's one way. My my wife, for example, uh, was feeling not well one day. I reached out to a woman doctor I know who heads the women's health at Robert Wood Johnson. And she agreed to take Judy in that afternoon. Make a long story short, they operated on Judy that night. And the doctor told me if we hadn't gotten her in there that day, she was either going to lose her leg or she wasn't going to make it. So all kinds of ways to add value to your family. When our son was dating his current wife, she went to Ohio State University and she was looking to get into the PR or advertising business in New York City and she had no contact. Well, I happened to be at an event hosted by President Obama at the White House where I met the CEO of the world's largest PR firm. And we had lunch a, a month or so later and during that lunch, I said to him, do you ever hire brand new people out of college who are motivated to be in your business? And he said, of course. I said, well, our son is dating a girl who is about to graduate from Ohio State, and she is looking to get into the PR industry in the city. He said, have her call me. I said, call you or call HR? He said, no, have her call me. We'll bypass the HR. So Emily wound up calling the president of Edelman, and she's been with them for seven years. So Emily never looked for a job. So this is powerful, powerful stuff. And when I talk to people about what type of networker you should be, I tell them, I think there are four kinds. There are people who ask for things constantly, and that's absolutely the worst kind of networker. Oh, I call them an ask an asshole. Yeah, and then there are people who are willing to take things if you offer it to them. That's a little <laughs> Then there are people who will trade, like you mentioned. If you do something for me, I'll try to do something for you, quid pro quo. And the fourth type, which is absolutely the best type, is just somebody who constantly focuses on giving to other people. And the rewards come back. So end of the lecture. <laughs> that was great. Did you ever read Adam Grant's book about yeah. giving? Oh, my God, now I'm forgetting the name of it. I mean, he was just spot on there. And I reached out to him after I read the book and we've had a couple of great conversations. Wow. Yeah. I've ha actually had, um, my God, now, Dr. Wayne Baker, who's one of his mentors and one of his partners, as well as Larry Freed, that is his partner in give, it's called give a toss on the show. Great, great people. And I mean, Adam, he's the guy's a visionary and yep. you know, I haven't read his other book originals, which is supposed to be excellent also, but He's amazing. And he, you know, again, he's reinforcing all these things that you've just talked about. Right. What you talked about earlier in terms of just those jobs, they say that 70% of the job market is actually the hidden job market. So these opportunities that you opened up for your son and your daughter-in-law, do you know if they were even available or again, just kind of created? No, I, in the first 
case where I networked Jonathan to a job, I had met one of the partners at this uh, firm in New York City, the re restructuring partner. Just I was developing a separate relationship with him. And I was in his office one day and, and a young associate came in to have a quick conversation with the guy I was meeting with. And when the associate left, I told the partner, I said, that young guy was very impressive. You know, where did you find him? And he told me how he recruited him. He said, in fact, I'm looking for another one like that. I said, I happen to know a perfect candidate who would be the second version of that. I said, our son, I think you would react very well to. So he said, well, we're looking right now to hire. So I said, I'll have Jonathan reach out to you uh, tomorrow and set up a time to come see you. So it was just by reacting to the circumstances. What were the things that you instilled in Jonathan that you think made him such an attractive play for this organization? I told him and, and my wife told him when he was a little kid, I said, we all have our jobs. My job is to earn enough to keep us afloat. Your mother's job is to take care of the farm. We have a 50 acre farm that we live on. Her job is to take care of the farm and watch over you and your job since you're a student in grammar school is to get the best grades that you can and do the best job you can. And I said, so if you ever come home with a grade that you're not happy with, I don't want to hear any complaints because you got a boss and your boss is a teacher and your boss is deciding that you're a C-level employee. Mm. And if you want to be an A-level employee, you got to figure out how to be more successful as a student. So we emphasize the need of always focusing on doing the best he can do. And then in terms of college choices, I said to him, one of the things you should think about is where you might want to live and work after you go to, after you get out of college. Because prior to that discussion, he had been looking at schools in Texas and California. And when I had him focus on where he might want to be permanently, and he said the East Coast, I said, then I don't think you should be looking at colleges in California and Texas because they're going to have weaker alumni organizations mm -hmm. in the metro area. And the reputation, even though they're great schools, people in New York aren't going to know much about them. So I think you should focus your college search between Washington and Boston. So then he wound up joining in on Georgetown, which where he graduated. And that turned out to be a really great choice. And then when it came time to career advice, I said to him, no matter what you do, don't pigeonhole yourself into a narrow corner. So his first job being with Deloitte certainly gave him a lot of a lot of perspective. Since he was in the audit area, he was auditing in the three years he was with Deloitte, he probably audited 15 different companies in 15 different sectors. So he was developing a broad set of expertise. And then when he went with this restructuring firm where he's been for, I think, 13 years, he, he's gotten involved in turning around universities, healthcare facilities, retailers, manufacturers, charities. So again, not pigeonholing himself. So he's in a beautiful position where he's got a wide range of experiences, wide range of contacts, and a wide range of capabilities. I hope to grow up to be like him one day. <laughs> That's awesome.
What have been the keys to maintaining the relationships that you've built over this extended time? What are you doing? Is it check-ins with people? Is it making sure you see them face-to-face? Is it sending cards? What are you doing to really foster and nurture some of these amazing relationships? Well, very few have carried over for my whole career. Yeah. Because as I said, I've spent the last 40 plus years starting 10 different companies in 10 different sectors, everything from uh, thoroughbred horse racing to hedge fund investing to industrial equipment manufacturing to magazine publishing. So in each one of those industries, I had to build up really unique networks of quality people. And as I moved from one to another, many of those relationships just didn't carry forward because they weren't relevant either to me or to them. But when I do try to focus on people, I I figure if you live to be 80 years old and you meet 10 new people a day, starting from the day you're born, that comes up to something like 300,000 people that you meet during your lifetime. And you can't possibly stay in touch with all of them. So part of being a successful networker is you have to keep uh, constantly pruning mm-hmm. who are the most important people that you want to stay in touch with. And then you got to find ways to do that. Pre-COVID-19, I would try to uh, have a breakfast meeting six or seven days a week, sometimes two breakfast meetings in the same day. I much prefer breakfast to lunch or dinner or drinks or coffee. I don't go to many events and I don't join many groups. So I prefer to do my serious networking one-on-one in person over eggs. But now that we're in COVID-19, I've been doing that on Zoom. And I've done a relatively poor job of maintaining a database. So I'm starting to reconstruct that now because for street smart entrepreneurs, I want to start keeping people up to date with email messages. So I am developing a database. So I encourage everybody to focus on maintaining a database that you can periodically look at and shoot short memos. I like to use email a lot. I don't use personal notes, but I do. uh, I'm a prolific email user. And now I'm a prolific uh, Zoom user. I typically have three or four Zoom calls a day. And I think it's cost effective. I think it's not quite as good as in person, but it's certainly better than a lot of other options. So I think you have to prioritize your contacts and be constantly looking for ways to add value. So just you referring Adam Grant's book or mentioning Adam Grant's book gets me thinking about who can I shoot an email to and say, hey, I just got a recommendation on Adam Grant's uh, book. I think you ought to take a look at it. So you got to just, you got to keep your mind active and be looking for opportunities to connect with people in your network. So you mentioned so many things that I want to talk on. First, I want, well, I I want you to tell me about the street smart entrepreneurs. That's one thing. Something else I want to uh, touch on is you talked about pruning. And I think that's really important. I actually do a biannually audit my networks. I check in with people and I also, I keep a database also. And I also note who doesn't follow up with me. Or who just follows, I actually got a call this morning from a guy I realized I'd actually reached out to him nine times. He never responded. 
But uh, today he reached out. I responded to him. Hey, how you doing? And of course, he got right to it. Just what can I do for him? So I'll do something nice for him, but he's out. (laughs) So the audit I'm a huge fan of because there's only a certain amount of time. And there's also a certain amount of energy that you could give. So I want to give that to someone else who's either going to really appreciate it or who will also give back to somebody else. Doesn't have to be me. Talking about energy is really important. Because I think every time you meet somebody, whether it's in person or on Zoom, it really consumes energy. Mm. You you can't afford to be flat in a conversation. You got to be up. Your mind's got to be constantly searching for what I call the finger holes. I think networking is like rock climbing. And you're trying to find finger holes where the common touch points between you and another person where it gives you the opportunity to do something that be helpful to them. That takes concentration, takes energy, takes creativity. So this most a lot of people think networking is a trivial time wasting thing that basically is going to events and exchanging business cards. Uh, I think networking is one of the most sincere ways that you can spend your time with enormous impact both on yourself and on the people you know. I wholeheartedly agree. Tell me about Street Smart Entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, as I said, I've started up until now nine other companies. For example, I started the first country music magazine in America that ran for 30 years. I had an industrial equipment manufacturing company making plastic extruding equipment that I ran for 13 years, sold to a public British company. I spent 18 years running a fund of hedge funds that I started from from scratch. And uh, usually I'm running more than one one venture at a time. But now at this stage of my life, I've got a ton of experience, entrepreneurial experiences. I've got a really a very wide network of people who are active in the entrepreneurial space. So I think I have a lot to add to that uh, group of people. And when I started thinking about COVID-19 and all the disastrous impacts it's having on everybody, I started thinking about how is COVID-19 going to be beneficial in the long run, despite all the negative things it's causing. And I started thinking to myself, our education system is certainly going to be improved as a result. Our healthcare industry is certainly going to be improved as a result. And that's already showing up with the speed at which these vaccines are being approved. I I think our corporate America is going to become leaner, more flexible, and therefore more competitive. So I think uh, American companies are going to do better in general competing globally. And then I thought one of the other consequences is entrepreneurship globally is really going to be driven because a lot of these people are being downsized. A lot of people aren't going to want to go back to the way they were working before. A lot of people are learning to be more independent, working remotely. So I think there's going to be a real groundswell in entrepreneurship worldwide. And given my background and my passion for this space, I want to be in a position to help make that happen. So I decided back in May of last year to launch Street Smart Entrepreneurs. And my vision is to develop products and services to empower entrepreneurs globally. I don't have any employees. I'm a one-man band, 
but I have two college interns, one of whom from a local community college is absolutely outstanding. Then I have six advisors, all people I know very well, one of whom is putting in a fair amount of time with me, and he's very active. His day job is uh, leading the executive education program of one of the top Ivy League schools, but he's putting in 15 or 20 hours a week with me. So even though I don't have any employees, I've got resources around me that are contributing to what we're doing. We're in the process of developing online courses for entrepreneurs. We're going to launch our first two this month. We're hosting these quarterly global entrepreneurs forums. We're currently been retained by a $6 billion company to develop a more entrepreneurially oriented management training program for their managers. And I'm talking to a New Jersey university about teaming up in a 50-50 relationships to develop minority entrepreneurs in New Jersey's major cities. So we've got a lot of stuff going on. Down the road, I can envision us possibly starting a incubator for entrepreneurs. Mm. I can envision maybe having a TV show mm. focusing on the entrepreneurial world. And maybe I get back into the uh, business of uh, forming an investment fund where the candidates to be invested in are successful entrepreneurial companies that we come across in the course of the other work we're doing for street smart entrepreneurs. So we really have a lot going on and we're focusing on developing a global market for what we're doing. And I envision creating a global community of entrepreneurs. One of the interesting conversations I have coming up this week is with a a pretty high level contact I made a few years ago at the UN. And he's originally from Pakistan, but he's been with the UN about 20 years. And his focus is on eliminating uh, poverty and human rights violations, primarily in emerging countries. So we're going to have a conversation later this week about how we can uh, team up to use entrepreneurial development as a way to tackle the two goals that he has in front of him. Mm. So you have to be constantly thinking and constantly creating and constantly readjusting your business model because things are changing so rapidly and in such a significant way. But I'm pretty optimistic about street smart entrepreneurs. I think there's a need. And I think we collectively have the ability to help meet that need. That's great. So I love the vision, by the way. And I like the fact that you're leveraging lots of resources, whether it's for free or even just getting access to them from your networks, people that you've met along the way, or you're meeting as a result of other people that you've met along the way. So kudos to you there. What is street smart entrepreneurs doing differently than some of the other quote unquote competitors out there? What is someone who joins your program? What are they going to learn? What are going to be some of their takeaways? What are the things that you're really trying to instill and drive home in your learnings? Well, I think the first thing that separates us is the uh, concept behind our name. Everybody that's involved in this new venture really is a street smart entrepreneur. I mean, none of what we're helping um, educate other people on is academically based. 
the things I've learned in the last 40 years, starting and growing nine different businesses from scratch, you know, not too many people have that kind of uh, track record of experiences. Some good, mostly all good, but some bumps along the road. And then all the advisors I have, these are all people with decades of hands-on experience, mm. either starting their own companies or advising other entrepreneurs. So I think just the degree of experience and expertise that we're going to share through the different products and services will set us apart. And I think we really collectively as a group understand the mindset of the entrepreneurial market. We understand what are the challenges. The very first course that we're going to be releasing later this month focuses on the eight key factors that determine entrepreneurial success. Mm. And we walk our audience through those eight factors. So anybody who's thinking about starting a company or who has already started one and may be struggling to grow it significantly, I think that this conversation of these eight factors is going to have a major impact on their thinking. And it won't be just Jack Killian sharing his ideas on the topic. In this first course, we have seven other guest lecturers, all selected because they have very specific expertise. For example, one of the guest lecturers in that course is a woman who started a company 25 years ago, a hair salon business. She now has multiple locations. And along the way, she's raised five kids so she's uh, sharing her experiences on how do you do that? How do you juggle those balls? How do you recruit the right people? Then we have another guest speaker who I think is one of the country's leading experts on customer service. And he's talking in this course about the importance of really establishing great customer service as one of the key factors for success in driving entrepreneurial success. So Every single course we have is loaded with advice, very cost-effectively loaded with advice from people who have been there and done that. And I don't think there are many other resources out there comparable. I mean, we bring not only experiences from the U.S., but we bring global experiences to bear. Just in my own personal case, I've grown businesses in Latin America, Europe, Russia, China, and... Uh, we have a lot to get a real conversation going with our clients about. Where, where do you think most entrepreneurs are falling short? Well, I've looked at, in my career, I've looked at literally thousands of deals and very few of them, I think, are any good. There are lots of ways they break down. For example, I've just been invited to be on the advisory board of a unique organization bringing people from China in the U.S. together, and they're struggling. And in my first conversation with them, I said, who's your target audience? And they're really aiming at women. I said, but you can't just be aiming at women. Is it women by a certain age or women by certain career paths or women in certain geographical locations? So I think a lot of businesses break down because they haven't really been able to identify their audience. I, I think a lot of businesses break down because they don't have a broad enough revenue base. 
I see a lot of people trying to start new companies with a product idea. And a product idea is not a viable reason for starting a business. One product does not make a business. One product can be easily ripped off. Mm. So, and then they really don't have a competitive advantage. So I, I think you have to be looking at who's your target audience and how do you reach them cost effectively? Is there a way to reach the audience you're going after? You have to look at what is your portfolio of revenue sources. I think every business, not just early stage ones, every business needs to have multiple revenue sources. And what's your competitive edge? Why should people buy from you? Why should they spend their money? How do you know they're going to spend their money? What assumptions have you made? And, and how do you justify those assumptions? So, so over the years, I've, I've seen deal after deal after deal where the basic elements really aren't well thought through. And when I first started my very first startup company, focused on raising money for other entrepreneurs, the very first deal I looked at probably took me five or six months to evaluate. I kept trying to put together spreadsheets, forecasting what was going to happen. And I really agonized over understanding the business and the business model. Now I've looked at so many deals. I can spend 30 minutes hearing about a deal and be pretty clear in my own mind whether this is something that would justify raising outside funding for, whether this is a deal that's going to likely be a long-term home run. So I've gotten much better over the last 40 plus years of assessing potential new ventures. You mentioned something that really caught my ear. I'm curious to dig deeper on that. And that was, you talked about mentors and how I'd love to get your perspective on how important they are just in general, but especially as for an entrepreneur, putting together the right board, or even if there's not a formal board that's helping you with your charter, just having access to the right kinds of people that you can uh, drop a call into to get their advice. I think there's a lot of advantages for any entrepreneurial type of company to put together an advisory board. First of all, in no way does it limit you in to anything because it's not a formal board of directors. So it's just a loose collection of people who can share their best thinking with you. I think the fact that you establish an advisory board gives early stage companies more credibility. It's not just Jack Killian out there trying to do something with street smart entrepreneurs. People can go to my website and see the quality of the advisory board I've put together. So I think it boosts your credibility. And then uh, if you pick the people the right way and pick them really because you genuinely respect their judgment about things, you'll get great feedback. I I had a call this week with one of the members of my advisory board and I asked her a question about a course that we're in the process of developing. And her reaction to it was dead on. And it helped me shift my thinking about the audience that we were going to target with that product. So I think there's all kinds of advantages. I think to make an advisory board successful, I don't think you have to pay these people. They're not doing it for compensation. They're doing it because... They respect what you're trying to do. They share your vision. 
they think they can help. They want to be identified with what you're doing. It can only rub off on them in a positive way if you're successful. But you have to uh, do a good job of keeping them up to date. So, for example, in the case of Street Smart Entrepreneurs, we have a Zoom quarterly advisory uh, group meeting where I, I bring people up to date on what's been going on uh, since the last time we talked. And then in between those calls, I might have one or two Zoom calls with each member or share one or two email exchanges. So you got to work on maintaining the communications. But I can't think of any early stage company that would not benefit enormously by picking the team of the right advisors. And I, I think pick five or six at most. And I think it'll be a very high ROI. Before I let you go, would you mind walking through your entrepreneur, your first time entrepreneur, or I guess it doesn't matter how many time entrepreneur, how would you recommend they identify who they should have on their board and how they should ask them about being on the board? And, and, and what, should they, what should the expectation be? Well, I think uh, you're looking for divergent views when you put together an advisory board. Great point. So, for example, on my board, advisory board, I have a very entrepreneurially oriented lawyer from New Jersey. His practice is almost 100% working with small and mid-sized companies. He also has a podcast for entrepreneurs that he uh, produces weekly. Then I have a woman working in the uh, wealth advisory industry who has great marketing expertise in the financial services sector. She spent the last 25 years as head of marketing for uh, a couple of wealth management organizations. Then I have a, a good friend I've known maybe 10 years who's an expert on customer service. He's had his own company for the last 25 years, working with Fortune 500 companies to improve their customer service. He's written two books, very well-received books on customer service. So he's one of my advisors. Then I have this director of continuing education at an Ivy League school who brings a wealth of knowledge about developing online education for a target audience. Then I have our son, Jonathan, on the advisory board who brings great great financial analysis expertise. He's really good at building financial models of companies. And he's just a standout in terms of fixing broken companies. So down the road, I envision street smart entrepreneurs developing a course focusing on how to fix stagnating or broken courses. And at that point, Jonathan will be an enormous resource for us. And then the final member of the advisory team is a serial entrepreneur I met maybe 10 years ago. He had a magazine in New York for small and mid-sized companies that he ran for 10 years and sold it. I was a contributing writer for the publication, and I also helped judge his annual best of awards, best accounting firm, best law firm, best bank. And we've stayed in touch, and he is now launching 
a new investment fund and he's been picking my brains on the investment fund and uh, I've been picking his brains on street smart entrepreneurs. He, he really knows how to market to various niche audiences. So th these are all smart, mature, successful, experienced people in the entrepreneurial space. And I, I don't want to have 12 or 15 of them. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to really do a good job of maintaining the relationships if I had an advisory board that big. Yeah, also too many uh, cooks in the kitchen. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great. I love something that I am taking away from this that I think is important was the divergent thinking. You don't want that echo chamber. So good to have different perspectives, different industries. Like you said, also men and women having different, you know, we all have different perspectives. So I think that's really sage advice that you've shared. Jack, I mean, you and I could be talking and talking for hours. I, I really appreciate uh, something I think that everyone should know is number one, you are a class act. We had a conversation that we recorded, but we had a technical difficulty. So we had to replicate this. And I think we've done a great job of doing that. So I appreciate you. I also want to note that something that I noticed about people that are just winners is when I called you about this and I told you about it, you're like, okay, let's just move on and do it again. Whereas some people would have, uh, that I don't think have really kind of quote unquote made it, they would have gotten very upset and oh my God, and they made a big deal of it. You didn't, you kind of moved, you rolled with the punches. So kudos for you. And I think that's something that I, I just wanted to acknowledge. And then I also uh, appreciate you powering through because I know that you weren't feeling well today. So I really have the utmost admiration for you. I learned a lot during today's conversation. I think uh, Street Smart Entrepreneurs is you know, it's gonna, it's gonna go off to the races and I'm excited to watch and cheer you on and do whatever it is that I could do that could help to benefit you. So thank you, my friend. No, thank you, Adam. And I really look forward to uh, building a win-win relationship with you. I think, I think we both think in similar ways and I'm sure we're gonna find lots of synergies and I look forward to capitalizing on that opportunity. You got it, my friend. Listen, and I don't know if they're teaching this in street smart, but the math that I learned on the streets was one plus, the best kind of math is one plus one equals three. Totally. Totally. <laughs> you got to leverage your relationships. <laughs> That's it, my friend. Thanks again. Thanks, <laughs> Adam. Have a safe week. Huh? You too. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.